Welcome to the Quality Meat Scotland podcast. Industry updates and best practice to promote, support, develop and protect the Scottish red meat sector. Hello and thanks very much for downloading this podcast. I'm Mark Stephen. Even as I speak, things are changing rapidly. What were initially being described as teething difficulties are hardening into quite serious ones for UK exporters. As things stand, some suppliers are saying that not only is it too difficult to continue to send stuff to Europe, it's getting too difficult to send stuff to Northern Ireland. Things, it's fair to say, are not easy. In this podcast, we're going to look at what the direct effects of Brexit are on farming businesses and what the medium to long-term prospects might be. Joining me to discuss that is Sarah Miller, Director of External Affairs at QMS. Now, Sarah originally hailed from a hill farm in rural Lanarkshire. She's been involved with agricultural and food and drink production in Scotland from a young age. After leaving school at 16, she worked in the family meat processing business selling organic meat from the family farm all over central Scotland. She's currently involved with a number of Scottish Government policy development initiatives, including the National Council of Rural Advisors, the Food and Farming Production Group and the Suckler Beef Climate Change Implementation Board. Alison Milne has a diverse range of interests. She's a self-employed consultant, partner in a farming business, director of Crafty Molsters Limited and director of Scotland Food and Drink. Alison was commercial and operations director for NFUS from 2008 to 2013. Four years ago, she was appointed as co-chair of the National Council of Rural Advisors, providing recommendations to Scottish Government on the future of the rural economy. She's now a member of the Scottish Government Arable Climate Group, Enterprise and Skills Strategic Board and the Brewing Industry Leadership Group. So thank you both very much for joining us today. Sarah, I'm going to start with you. So far, what's been the direct impact of Brexit on farming businesses? So far, I think most farming businesses won't have noticed the immediate impact of EU exit. I think the problems that have been faced have been felt more directly at the processing end. And the processing sector in particular have been working incredibly hard to mitigate that impact at farm level. That has also been helped because of a few different factors. Both the beef and lamb price is quite firm just now. So pre-EU exit, we had fear that there could be some quite significant market turmoil, particularly in the sheep meat sector and lamb meat sector because of the the levels of exports that that go into the EU market. But because of a much lower lamb crop, particularly from England this year, and an increased domestic demand because of COVID-19, the turbulence that we feared hasn't quite came to fruition. In fact, both Beef and lamb prices are at just about historic highs for this time of the year, which has has actually probably been a positive feeling on farm. But the the overriding message is things aren't great at other parts and within other parts of the supply chain. And that's where the pain is most definitely being felt. And there's a lot of work going on there to try and mitigate the problems that are being faced and to look at long term solutions, because As you intimated earlier, Mark, some of the short-term teething problems have the potential to to really bed in and become long-term supply chain problems, which we don't want to see, and that would not be within the best interest of Scottish agriculture. If we're talking about workforce, labour force from the EU, what's the situation there? 
The UK government have implemented an EU settlement scheme which ensures that any EU citizen who does not already have indefinite leave to remain and who was living and working in the UK in a seasonal, temporary or permanent capacity before the 31st of December 2020, they can retain their rights to live and work in the UK. So they have to go through a process that they can apply for online through the UK government website and that means that they are able to return to work in the UK and can even reside outside of the UK for up to two years in a row and still retain that settled status to allow them to come back. So there has been provision in place to help maintain that workforce capacity that we are relying on within within the red meat supply chain. Alison, what's been the impact so far on your businesses? Um, I think I would agree with, with Sarah's comments in relation to, to how things have been felt on an individual farm level in that we haven't seen a great impact in relation to our business, which is predominantly arable. There has been market fluctuation, malting barley price, um, but, but those things are more related to COVID at this stage than to Brexit. So at this moment in time, there hasn't really been a significant impact at our individual farm level. And so you're not really having to adapt at all so far? We've done a number of things to to adapt our business over the last couple of years. And part of that has been in relation to my experience of farm and and that knowledge of what's happening in the supply chain and in policy direction. And perhaps we've been able to anticipate change in a slightly different way. So our diversification into crafty maltsters, which is where we're, we're adding value to our barley crop, has been largely driven by that. So I would say, you know, in terms of adaptation, it's ever evolving. And what we are trying to do is equip ourselves to be resilient enough to deal with all of these challenges, be they COVID, be they Brexit, be they supply chain. So I think there's a number of things that have culminated in a perfect storm and our approach is just to make sure that we are as resilient to that as possible. When you set up Crafty Monsters, was it with an eye to Brexit or were you diversifying anyway? I wouldn't have said Brexit was a main consideration. It was certainly a factor um, when we did our SWOT analysis, uh, if you want to put it crudely. But I think for us, it was about recognising that the commodity marketplace that we were operating in wasn't a comfortable one and that we wanted to remove some of that uncertainty by moving ourselves into the next stage of the supply chain with a view to having more control over our products and ultimately adding value. And I think the most important thing was that we had a fundamental belief that the value of our malting barley was greater than that that we were being given in the commodity marketplace. So much opportunity around the story that we have to tell as a grower, the research and development and innovation opportunities in the barley sector. And that was really the driving motivation. Interesting. Sarah, what impact is all this having on the direction of government policy? What are you seeing? So I think we're seeing at the moment the Scottish government have committed because agricultural policy is, is devolved in Scotland and the Scottish government when, when Brexit was first announced that it was going to happen following the 2016 vote, the government took a, an approach that because of the market turbulence that is expected because of a reliance on EU markets for, for our, particularly our lamb meat as I said, 
they took an approach where they wanted to provide stability to farming businesses. So not looking to change the support regime to which a lot of businesses rely on too quickly. So at the moment, they are looking to maintain the current support structures until 2024 to enable businesses to try and adapt a bit better to the post-EU exit trading, trading regimes and then pilot some new approaches between now and 2024. That then means in 2024, when we have a bit more of a stable trading relationship and essentially we've sorted one element of the EU exit out, we can then look to diversify and I suppose change how we grow and invest in different parts of the agricultural supply chains through farm support. And I, I think that has been quite a sensible move. I think we've seen different parts of the UK take a slightly different approach and a different speed in that. And I think in Scotland, you know, our economy and particularly our rural economy, the cornerstone of that economic success is farming and most importantly, food production. And I think to forget that is, is a very, very dangerous premise. And to forget that place that food production has in the, in the overall economy, for, you know, for example, um, manufacturing jobs, food manufacturing is the biggest part of the manufacturing jobs market. So if you remove agriculture as the primary product feeding into that, you then start to have real impacts on the wider Scottish economy. So almost looking at this in the long game is a much more sensible approach to give businesses that certainty as, as we move into what are you know uncertain times. Similarly though, I think you know as a I still class myself as a bit of a, as a young farmer, coming out of the EU and removing ourselves from the, the common agricultural policy, I believe is probably the most exciting and the biggest chance we have to fundamentally change the relationship we have with agricultural and rural support in Scotland you know in my lifetime which is quite it's been quite exciting to be part of that and to be working with the Scottish government on some of the initiatives that they have going you know in the past there's been cap reviews and there's been different different iterations but there's always been fundamental processes or a fundamental framework that's you know decided that we have to adapt to, whereas just now we, we can develop our own bespoke Scottish approach, which we can make sure fits the Scottish narrative and means that we can essentially do things a bit differently that hopefully will enable our agricultural industry to flourish much quicker and much better. Can you elaborate for me then, to hear people using words like exciting opportunity, etc., what was bad about the previous situation? Where do you want to be in, say, 20 years' time? I think where we want to be in 20 years time, as I said, in Scotland, our our affinity with the rural economy is much closer. You know, most individuals within Scotland will, will be connected to rural Scotland in some way, whereas in England that's or in other parts of the UK, that's not always quite the case. So I think that gives us a huge opportunity to to use the rural economy as a springboard to, to the wider economy providing success for Scotland. And this is sort of the basis that the National Council of Rural Advisors, Alison Cotier, um, alongside Long Creeder, you know, was really based on that at the moment, the rural economy is seen very much being, you know, farming, forestry and not much else. Whereas when you look at some of the other economic opportunities that exist, by redefining how you see rural and how rural and urban economic policy interacts and that goes for farm policy and how you how you move farm products through supply chains and how they then interact with consumers I think you can start to see a very different way of doing things so you know 
and that what Alison's done with crafty, crafty Maltsters is just one example of that. But throughout throughout Scotland, there's many stories of success fundamentally rewriting how the rural economy works. Alison, are you singing from the same hymn sheet here? Yes, um, I, I agree with, with all of what Sarah's just said. I mean, I think... From my perspective, I sit on on a number of stakeholder groups um, and Scottish government boards at national and at industry level. And I see my role within those groups as to firmly position the opportunity that Scottish agriculture presents. And I would take that a bit back to a very basic level and, you know, the foundation of what we deliver. And as Sarah pointed out, the most important thing there is um, that we're the bedrock of a food and drink industry, which has incredibly ambitious targets and delivers significant economic value to, to Scotland. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for us in positioning ourselves and the role we have in climate change mitigation and biodiversity enhancement. And I think as an industry, we understand that role that we have to play, but it's not always well understood by wider society. And, and we need to make that an aim. And as far as the future direction of policy goes, in my view, whatever policy we put in place, it has to be an enabler. It has to allow us to enhance the contribution that we make in each of those areas. And I think inevitably, the future direction of agricultural policy will be aligned to the Scottish government climate change targets, as it will for, for every other industry, and quite rightly so. But our industry is uniquely placed to deliver. And I think that presents us with opportunity. And I think that presents Scotland with opportunity to meet those targets. Sarah, you mentioned CAP earlier. Long term, what effect do you think this is going to have on farm support? Long term, farm support is going to change. And Alison mentioned there, obviously, the Scottish Government climate change targets, which are front and centre of everyone's minds just now. So that is going to be the long term direction of travel. How can we decarbonise our agriculture and food and drink sector, but in a way that still maintains profitability and productivity within the supply chain? So that that is absolutely going to be the direction of travel. And our farming minister, Mr Ewing, has been very clear that he values the role that food producers have within Scotland and that that should be front and centre of any future support scheme that replaces the common agricultural policy. So the, the key drivers are how, how can we decarbonise across the food and drink supply chain whilst also maintaining profitable output? I think there's been a lot of good work done by Jim Walker and the farmer-led groups in providing a, a route map and a blueprint. And what I really like about this is that it's been started by a farm, at, you know, at farm level, it's looking at, you know, what are the interventions that, that you can undertake on, on your farm that reduces carbon emissions, but can also have a fundamental, you know, positive impact on your bottom line. So you're getting that kind of win-win that longer term will lead to a more resilient sector and because it's been developed by farmers in terms of you know that being taken up more widely across the farming industry in Scotland that it should happen much quicker because of that because it's not a top-down approach of this is what you can do it's the farming community essentially saying this is what we can do and and, and then saying to government this is what we need to enable us to do that much more quickly so it's 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 looking at things much differently. It's it's look, using that bottom up approach that I think is much more amenable to actually getting things done 
in a fashion that, that rewards the outcome that we need. Again, you mentioned supply chains there. Are they discussing decarbonising at the moment? How are they going to do that? This is obviously, there's a, a lot of pressure coming from consumers, retailers and, and, and from society and quite rightly so, I think we, we know that we need to reevaluate how we how we live our lives. Everyone in the supply chain is looking at this, you know, whether it's our auctioneers or our hauliers looking at, you know, different types of fuel or looking at, you know, hydrogen fuel. This is going to be almost, you know, we talk about the Team Sky approach where it's not one fund fundamental change that will lead to, you know, lower carbon food products. It's going to be incremental change throughout the supply chain. So there's things, there's projects ongoing at the moment looking at, you know, wastage in the processing sector, how you can produce renewable energy from different byproducts. Farming and food production really is the epitome of you know, the circular economy. It is the original and best example of a circular economy. And we've probably been doing a lot of the practices that other areas of Scottish industry are, are now just having to look at. So that, that puts us in a really strong position to be able to capitalise that and be leaders in this field. You know, we talk about the bioeconomy in the future and, and being able to produce renewable energy from you know natural resources which naturally fits with our farming landscape and the resources that we're currently using to produce food so i think there's a lot of alignment between what we're looking to do within the supply chain but also on farm as well and there's value in that that, that can go back to farmer if it's applied in the right way Alison, just listening to this i am for some reason my, my mind jumped towards the sort of theory of evolution you know, and what we've hit here is a big disruption event. You know, and it, as um, Sarah has said, there are possibilities here. There are quite exciting possibilities here if we handle it right. But does that mean that the companies that are going to survive are going to get in on this new mindset now, you know, rather than in three or four years' time? Definitely. I, th- I think there's a couple of things. We've, we've already talked about the significant opportunity for agriculture in contributing towards these, these targets. And in many ways, the data collection is the easy bit and the monitoring of our progress. The more challenging bit is how we retain ownership of that. How do we retain that value um, of the actions that we're taking on farm and how they translate into the the overall, you know, the rest of the supply chain and the products that result from that. That's the challenging bit. And that's going to require a mindset where we recognize that working collectively has sometimes been our biggest weakness. And I think we're definitely going to have to gear ourselves towards how do we work better and how do we work more effectively as Scottish Agriculture PLC to make sure that we retain that ownership. I think our greatest strength is our resilience. A lot of farm businesses are generations old. We've weathered storms. We've repurposed our businesses in so many different directions to meet society's needs. And many of us have survived all of those things and we're still here. You know, when I first started um, back in 2003 or four with NFU Scotland, I started with a passion to help facilitate change in the industry. There's some things that I can look back on that I said in 2003 that have changed very little, but I think we've made a lot of progress and the building blocks are there. And at this moment, as you say, it's a, it's a transformational time. We've got the building blocks there. We just need to put them in the right order to really take advantage and deliver what we can 
for Scotland as a whole, because it's not just about our industry, it's about recognising what our industry does for the whole country. Okay, well, summarise this for me then, bundle it up just to round up this podcast. What do businesses, all businesses, really need to be doing at the moment? Everyone, you know, who's involved in farming and food production in Scotland, we, we all need to think about where we want to be in 10 years time. So if you are in a farming business and you are looking to continue in that farming business, I think it's about having a plan for how you are going to get to where you want to be in 10 years time. If you're in a farming business and actually you're thinking that because of maybe succession, maybe you've not got someone coming on in the business behind you and, and actually in 10 years time you might be looking towards retirement, how, how are you going to achieve that exit strategy? So whether you're looking to continue in the industry and you know invest in your business, grow your business and adapt to the new normal that we will all be working in with the new Scottish agricultural policy, you, you need to I suppose have that, that, that moment to yourself because Everyone farms and everyone's in business for many different reasons. Different people want to achieve different things from their business. So you have to have that individual reflection of what you want to achieve and where you want to be in 10 years time. And no one can tell you what that answer is. But once you know that, you can then start to build in the actions that you need to take to make sure that you get there successfully as a business. Alison, you want to add to that? I think it's it's difficult sometimes for individual farm businesses to understand how they contribute to those wider food and drink strategies or some of the, the climate change strategies. And I think there's an onus on governments and there's an onus on our stakeholder organisations to work together to make clear what is our strategy, what is our recovery plan to get through this uh, tumultuous time and look forward to the future. And we're already making inroads with that. Scotland Food and Drink Partnership Board and various stakeholder organisations have put together a recovery plan. But we need to make it very, very clear to individual businesses how they can feed into that process. And as I said at the beginning, any policy that comes forward in the future has to be an enabler and it has to make clear the role that Scottish agriculture plays in shaping our national future. We are food producers, we are contributing to economic value, climate change mitigation, biodiversity targets, et cetera, et cetera. And we're custodians of the countryside. Our role is a significant one. And I think there's often times where we feel that that isn't recognized. And as an industry, uh, there is an onus on us as well to make it clearer to, to you know, get out there the message of what, what we deliver to wider society. So I think whilst there is an onus on others to help us, there's also an onus on ourselves to work more collectively to take advantage of those opportunities in the future. A lot of good advice there. Uh, Alison Milne and Sarah Miller, thank you both very much for speaking to me. Thank you, Mark. No problem at all. Next week, um, we're going to be staying roughly in the area of resilience, except this time we're focusing on financial resilience. We're looking at ways to dilute your fixed costs. Until then, I'm Mark Stephen. I hope you found this useful. And thanks very much for listening. Thank you for listening to the Quality Meet Scotland podcast. For news and to listen back to previous episodes of the podcast, visit 
qmscotland.co.uk. For Scotch beef, Scotch lamb and specially selected pork recipe videos and inspiration, visit www.scotchkitchen.com or follow Scotch Kitchen on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.